Hello, everybody, and welcome to Lost Explorers. My name is J. David Osborne. That is Chris Sacknessum. Chris, how are you doing this evening? David, I'm really well, thank you. I had a wonderful afternoon with a very, very interesting new person for the Lost Explorers community, uh, Kent Axel, who is a professional magician, psychic mind reader, and a wonderful entertainer. My niece and I saw him in a gorgeous, very interesting, mysterious, intimate space at the Mandalay Bay Resort when she was down from Seattle. And Mandalay is uh, probably one of the most tasteful of the major resort casinos. And it's bounced back beautifully from the 2017 mass shooting, which I'm sure most people will be aware of. But Kent is a really, really engaging master of communication and uh on the same page with a lot of our interests i think you're going to really dig him i i'm going to propose that he be one of our guests on the show for the new year i just know you'll you'll really uh feel the kind of rapport that i did um where the shared language and shared perspectives and sort of starting to riff and groove and and moving forward with ideas and it's given me a lot of thought about, uh, and I'll get to it for uh, my tool and tip later uh, in the show. But I'm I'm very charged about that. And it was also a chance to get me out of the house and all the way down to Las Vegas's Chinatown, which uh, is very strange. It's not like any other city's Chinatown that I know, certainly not like San Francisco or New York uh, or Seattle. Uh, it's it's much newer, for starters. It's much more apparently sort of strip mall, but it is absolutely entertaining. And the coffee shop was just absolutely fabulous. So I feel like I met a new friend and introduced someone to Lost Explorers. Uh, he immediately subscribed to the podcast. And I think just that connection that we're looking for in our audience and in a shared community that is really, really a great way to end this difficult year. Uh, <laughs> there was, uh, a, a, you know, a serious shooting on my campus with uh death you know and it completely upended some things you're facing some challenges i know with your wind up of semester but we're we're looking for hope and optimism and optimism is one of our themes so i think this is really a, a, a cool thing to give you an idea of kent is from maine and he's actually going back to maine to be the magician entertainer at a snowmobile festival coming up. And I think that's just a riot and he's grooving on that. Um, but he was really fun to see in a great room uh, at the Mandalay. He also performs at area 15, which I, I don't Ooh, know. If you've been I there. went there. That's I where the yeah. wolf is. Yeah. He, um, yeah. I went to the uh, Omega Mart at area 15. Yeah. So he's there and I'm, I'm looking forward to that show, which is different. Um, have you been to area 15? I have. I, I, it's I, great. I, I think I've it's tried great. to pitch a few, you know, things to meow wolf. Um, 
I got a little overwhelmed, but I, I think today's expedition, and bear in mind, because I'm living in Boulder City now, that is another, well, it adds 25 minutes, maybe 30 to getting into downtown Vegas. It's more of an mm-hmm. effort, but I felt today was uh, really worth the effort and I'm, I'm, I'm charged. That's good. That's good. I am. I wish I could say that I was charged, but as you mentioned, it is the end of the school year and <clears throat> I'm looking forward to the break. Uh, school is fine. The, as with any job, the administration is, uh, well, it's the administration and they have different yep. goals than educators do. They, um, they have a different day to day and certain things that they introduce that they think might be good ideas to improve numbers. Um, don't necessarily always translate into a better experience for students or teachers. But other than that, the new apartment is great and uh, we're all in the groove and we're beginning to be financially stable. Um, so personally and financially and spiritually, I'm good, but it's just work doldrums. Nothing, nothing special, really. Just I, minor I annoyances. I hear you, David. I think you've made a, a tremendous transition uh, and you, you've done it with a lot of grace and energy. You are not alone, as you know, in having problems with uh, your administration. I suspect that very few of them have a teaching background and they really want to avoid students. They want to avoid faculty, they want to avoid parents. Uh, I, I have absolutely no respect whatsoever for any of the administrators that I have had any dealings with in my situations. Um, so it's just a grin and bear it. Uh, try to enjoy those holiday moments and be mm-hmm. proud of the fact that you've gotten through. Uh, I like to think of it as your first semester as Mr. Osborne. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was telling you off, Mike, that Rios and I went to go get some food and being a teacher is a little bit like being Tyler Durden because you'll be in random places like the movie theater or the grocery store, or in this case, a restaurant. And you'll just hear a voice say, uh, how are you this evening, Mr. Osborne? And you look over <laughs> and there's a student, you know, in the uniform, uh, you know, because I teach juniors. And so a lot of them have, have jobs, but gets me some free popcorn and discount on food and it's nice. I think that's exciting. And imagine our friend Lisa, uh, mm-hmm. who's been teaching for a very long time in the same area. Whenever I've been out with her in uh, the Shoreline, North Seattle area, it's almost guaranteed someone from the past is going to mm-hmm. say hello. And mm-hmm. it's it's kind of small townish in that way, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, but I think... It, most of the time, I think it's a tribute to to the value placed by the community on teachers. And mm-hmm. I think try to th- bear that in mind when you're uh, really frustrated with your administration. You know, you're the yeah. important part of the equation. Right. For students, right. for families, for the community at large. No one's going to remember 
the administrators. They're very often just the most disposable. They're like bank managers, you know? <laughs> and I'm sorry. That's a good way of looking at it. Bank managers. Some bank yeah, managers. No, yeah, nothing against the bank managers. Um, we finished Gatsby and it makes me think because we had some moments with Gatsby where interest was waning, but once they got to the end of the, of the novel and you realize that, you know, Gatsby is this front for Meyer Wolfsheim's, you know, bootlegging operation and that, you know, he made this kind of deal with the devil to uh, have this lavish mansion and all these beautiful shirts, but it's all a, you know, kind of a, a facade that he's engaging in in order to get with Daisy, who's never going to leave the safety of Tom for him. It that all clicked for them. Good. They had a tough time with the opening. You know, where is this going? What are we doing? Why are mm-hmm. we focusing on this? Uh, so next year, when I teach it again, I might lead with that. I might just let them know that it's all like where it's all going. So it is, it's interesting also uh, when you're teaching to sort of, you know, the kids, any kid who has a first year teacher in their class, um, they're the experimental group, sure. right? Sure. So, so I think I, I figured out how to teach that book, but what a book. I mean, a classic and I think a, a well-deserved one. Fitzgerald's prose is a little much at times it's it's a bit much um but i i really do think that what he hit on with gatsby thematically uh just really really nails america frankly uh well that's certainly its claim i mean i think it's uh it's really the most perhaps important sociological American mm-hmm. novel of the 20th century. Tell me, did you uh, expose them to any of the film versions? Yes, we watched the Baz Luhrmann version, the, okay. the 2013 one, which they liked a lot. Um, I think that one went over better than the 1974 Robert Redford version would have. But uh, yeah, they liked it. They liked the movie too. Although Bruce Dern is Tom, and I yeah. think Mia Farrow, I mean, I'm not a huge, I, I really think Mia Farrow is just completely nuts, but no. I think she yeah. delivered, and I think uh, her female colleague, the golfer, is is very well portrayed in that. Yeah, yeah, um, I think I think Bruce Dern is a better Tom than um, the fellow they got for... Bruce Gosh. is as good as it comes. It's yeah, just, yeah. He sounds. Yeah. You know, uh, have you ever read the the diamond as big as the Ritz? No, no. That's, oh, that's his. Very, uh, um, that's his short story. Is that yes. a Playboy story or Variety or something or something like that? Uh well, it it's a. I mean, it's a Fitzgerald story. I don't know where it was yeah. originally published, but it's a very peculiar uh, story. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's much more of a surrealist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kind of, but I I think actually there's quite a bit going on. That's a nice uh, partner piece to uh, mm-hmm. to Gatsby. Um, 
Oh yeah, I guess it wouldn't have been Playboy because that came out years after he was already yeah, dead. But yeah, something, I, something like Atlantic, that. I mean, it would have been something. I mean, mm-hmm. the Atlantic was around then. Um, I don't know, uh, but of course Fitzgerald just remains such a, a complicated, uh, tragic figure. Dead at forty-four, not really. Uh, well, never really having achieved adulthood, and yet. You know, mm-hmm. he was still in there pitching, trying to make a living in Hollywood, trying to, you know, get over yep. a lot of interesting things. So I, I applaud you for getting through that book. But I think The Diamond as Big as the Ritz is a nice partner to that. I'll keep that in mind for sure. Um, you have a band. I do. And I, I'm actually applying this principle myself. I'm not using this name. Mm. Mm. The name of the band is very humble and down to earth. It's itchy butt. And the idea of it, though, is something I do approve of. It's a potluck. I like the name. Yeah, thank you. I, I think it's kind of fun. There's certainly nothing you know, pretentious about it. Um, but the idea is it's a potluck band where people bring along the instruments and the talent they have and gather together when they do, and they just record what they, the music they make. They don't have a big plan. They don't have a thematic concept, but they they do in the sense that their album is called Let's Make a Neighborhood. And it's uh, a good old funky potluck garage Bring your instruments, bring along what talent you have, uh, sing out of register if if that's, you know, all you can do. But it, it really is breaking it down to the, the very uh, essential community level. And I was sort of thinking of kind of uh, the Allman Brothers, the extended Allman Brothers family at their peak, which was an interracial sort of communal group i think they were kind of uh although you know both greg and Dwayne allman i mean they had some major musical stars of course uh dickie betts etc um but they started off as a kind of tribe and i think that tribal music making idea and then this notion of let's make a neighborhood is where i want to kind of head to optimistically as we close out 2023 very nice very nice and your aphorism for us today Uh, okay well i've gone a little bit poetic wandering the parking lot at the local baseball field wondering if the universe is organized top down or bottom up A hooded figure on an electric unicycle appears, does a lap, bounces a tennis ball, and leaves. And that actually happened, and I thought that was hilarious, because I was actually thinking, uh, I go down there to look at the lake, and uh, I I think I've talked about this baseball field, because it kind of puzzles me how the my little township has invested all this money in it and you never see anybody playing on it. I think it's gotta be some sort of, you know, nepotism scam a little bit. 
but nonetheless, it's, it's a nice facility and it's, uh, it's where the bighorn sheep uh, often gather. They're protected in Boulder City. So they're often hanging out. So I sometimes go down there just to have a look at the lake. And I, um, I bring along a couple of my homemade instruments and just do some things. And I, I was thinking, is the universe organized in a top-down way or bottom-up way? And I, of course, want to think of it as more of a third alternative you know, because we're all about the third man in the woods. And then right on cue, this strange figure who I've never seen just appears. I mean, how often do you see an electric unicycle? I haven't seen one of those. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, in a long, well, I don't think ever. Yeah. And the, you know, asking whether the universe is formed from the top down or from the bottom up is like asking, did he, did he bounce the ball or did the ball bounce back up into his hands? Yeah. Right. And then the Thank answer, you. and then the answer is, well, he drove in on a unicycle. Well, he rode in on a unicycle. That's yeah. what the, that's what the third thing is. Yeah. Yeah. See, you understand. <laughs> see, this is, this is why you're so important in my life. You understand these things. And I think that's exactly right. And I think that is a very strange kind of logic that, uh, is it's sort of like squirrel monkey logic you know it's it's really it just doesn't fit and yet it does fit it absolutely does and that's exactly what was going on amazing that's a really good one my imaginative challenge for this cold and wintry night we we're building up we are building up to a Universal Studios major blockbuster event for you, but not tonight, not today. This is going to be just quieter, calmer, but it is going to get uh, you perhaps doing some drawing. I always love your drawings. I, I think you have a lovely style. Um, it's very stark. It's it's very it's bold. Uh, it's suggestive, and yet it's very very clear. So I'm thinking about Christmas lights. Okay. I am thinking about, imagine just, uh, I don't, I I can't quite picture where the three of you are uh, in, in, in physical terms, but I want you just to imagine kind of your classic uh, Oklahoma house. And to think about what would be a really lovely, tasteful Christmas light display that would be true to the holiday season in in bigger terms of, of, of generosity, compassion, connection, not this incredible overstatement. I've got some really weird things going on in my neighborhood. Um, I've got lights on my, I think I've shown you this, right? Yeah. yeah 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 well i'm kind of proud of them but they're really they're really simple but there are some people who are doing really nutty things and you may have uh caught wind of uh eddie murphy's candy cane lane christmas wars movie you know we all know those sorts of things but i thought we'd inch you towards the big blockbuster challenge coming up pre-christmas okay with just maybe a little uh tasteful drawing and explanation of what you've 
decided. I I love when you get visual, and I I think you're a great storyteller, of course. But I like it when you also just do something sort of totemic and sigilistic uh, visually. So I've been working on my on my line work. Oh, very nice. See, that's very cool. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. all right, this is right in sync. This is right in sync. This is good. This is good. Yeah, good, I, good. I I took a I took a very Japanese Zen approach to my drawing now, and I have been for the past few months. I've just been literally focusing on can I draw a straight line, or you know, can I draw like a a three dimensional figure? Just lift that up a little bit. What what's this? What's going? Okay, this is very interesting. Okay, yeah, look. But, and then over here, I've got a bunch of lines. So this this is the result of me attempting to just draw straight lines over and over again. And there are several different pages of things. Of this I quite nature. love that, you know, just as it is. I think if you blew that up to wall size, what I, you know what I would do that? I would love to uh, print that on fabric. So... Mm. That, that and you might hang it uh you know say like like eight big eight eight feet ten feet twelve feet um mm -hmm. but have it so that the top is the anchor points and it, it actually would ripple against a wall as people might move mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. oh i like that that's cool i have a buddy who runs a print shop in uh the next town over and i can maybe make that happen uh, I think those are lovely images, David. And, and you know, knowing you now as well as I do, what always surprises me, and I think this is something that's kind of a tool and a tip and something we want to encourage listeners, is that oftentimes our visual, very focused graphic design expressions seem very different, I think, mm -hmm. than, than what we might, what other people might guess our work would look like. And yeah. I always feel that way about you. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like people would think that I would draw cartoons or uh, monsters or something like that. But no, it's just lines and cubes and cylinders and cones. I still haven't gotten cones. I'm not going to show you my attempts at cones. Um, but yeah, thank you for that. I uh, Yeah, but I, I would be happy to work out a a Christmas light display yeah uh, well you're my... as good a art director as i know and i think this is a nice challenge to um you know something that is an artistic expression something that is inherently social and communal uh i mean other people drive by it. you're making a statement to the world mm -hmm. uh we're living in very strange times there are people who are over the top with you know, Christmas commercialization of snowmen and non-Christian themes. There are people over the top with Christian themes. What would a, a tasteful, inspiring, simple message that you would feel is a good emblematic expression of your family? You know, that's kind of the, the social art challenge. I like it. I like it very much. So for today, you sent me an email. And that email had the subject header, big ideas. I like big ideas. Yeah. All right. So 
The grand navigational theme for 2024 will be reappraising signal and noise. I'm hyped on that. This ties in with the ghost radio signal and a lot of work that we've done to date, but opens the doors for many new possibilities. Here are some potential sub-theme directions. Okay, so I think... Oh, let me see here. Do we want to go... Let's see. So this is sketching out a, a yeah. provisional plan for right. 2024. Right, right. Instead of doing that, then let me just go to your notes... Well, actually, you know what? I'll do a, just a brief overview. There is, uh, for 2024, we have Civilization versus Empire, Radical Optimism, which is very exciting, and Speaking Truth because it's the right thing to do. Uh, just a few points to get people's appetite whetted. Um, neuroatypical kids as the new normal. The Lost Underground. Can can you escape philosophy? Fool's Errand 101, deletion technology, phantom communities. This is the kind of gold that Chris sends me normally. <laughs> but I will go to your end of your notes here and start with number one. The UNLV shooting has reminded me of something that's been on my mind for some time. Suicide. I have a story to relate about a suicide I directly witnessed, which triggered a bout of serious research into the subject. It's a murky field, and often information is suppressed for fear of inspiring more. Almost all mass-slash-rampage shootings are suicide. That's 100% true. That's how they begin, as plans. Only in rare instances is the shooter taken alive. The plan fails. We focus on the homicide elements, which at first seems fair enough, but we overlook or undervalue that the murder spree begins with the suicide as endgame. I'll stop there. Uh, tell us this story about a suicide you witnessed. Okay. Well, thank you and thank listeners for this opportunity. You know, our commitment is to look at things uh, aslant, askew, things that other people might not notice. I was coming back from a business meeting in Melbourne on a very, very hot day at about this time of year, because this is, of course, the Southern Hemisphere there. So we're heading into summer there. And I was driving over the Westgate Bridge in against a blinding sunset. And the Westgate Bridge is pretty high. I don't I think it's about 450 feet off the water, Port Phillip Bay. Uh, the car immediately in front of me suddenly stops. And we're not making much progress. Again, you know, this is late afternoon traffic to begin with. And I was kind of stunned. And the driver left his door open and runs to the edge of the bridge and simply leaps off. I mean, there might have been, uh, a, you know, a barge or a sailboat underneath it. There could have been anything happening, but there wasn't. And I got out of my car and a couple of other people got out of their cars. And, of course, this guy has just vanished, absolutely vanished. And I, I was 
really quite stunned by it. And I mean, you know me, I'm not that easily stunned. Uh, I've seen a lot of weird things. And it prompted me to do some investigation. And of course, this isn't surprising, but it, it still was that the Westgate Bridge, like many bridges, you know, there is a solution. Make the call, the Golden Gate Bridge says, you know, and now it's very hard to jump off that to your death. But the Westgate Bridge was absolutely used by many people, and we never heard about them. And I finally got a hold of what amounts to uh, the Melbourne City Police Commissioner, the Chief Administrator. And I said, really, what, what, what's up with this? And, you know, the answer is, well, the, if we were to publicize this, more people might jump. It's not technically possible to protect that space and keep people from jumping. We don't think that's the right way to go. So we're trying to handle all this very discreetly. And at the time, then, I said, it really concerns me that I don't know what the level of suicide is in my community. And I was told something that I think is really, really powerful. This was in Melbourne, Australia, but that is a world city. It's, I think, the leading city in Australia now, um, my preference over Sydney. The answer was, you will never find the truth about suicide. And I think that is sociologically very, very problematic. I really do. I don't. Uh, I understand the logic of it. I know that that more talk about suicide in, in real statistical terms. I understand what what might. I worked um, the year after or the year of my uh, divorce uh, when Christmas suddenly collapsed and and it was all very quiet. I did time on a suicide hotline run by the Methodists, and I got some good training. And I don't think that we have any understanding of what this really, really amounts to. I don't think we understand the demographics of it. And I think American information is becoming harder and harder to come by. We're seeing more and more people absolutely flaked out across 20 major cities on absolutely hideous drugs they are seeking oblivion they are seeking death they are dying the day of my art show in seattle city that you know well uh i stepped over two bodies you know were those were those deaths reported i think i've i've mentioned to you um i i've now twice reported corpses across from UNLV on Maryland Parkway in Las Vegas. I have called the police and the emergency medical services for corpses because I checked the pulse. I watched many people walk past. There were both men in this case. 
but I watched, you know, and, and I thought, oh, no, wait a minute. I, I trained as a paramedic. I know a dead person. I, I know what's going on. And I know when people are not responding to the level of noise in an environment that they are not simply comatose on some drug. It is, it, it's final. They're gone. Right. And we don't know what's happening. We used to have, a, you know, a potter's field. You may know that term, you know, a, yes. a, a pauper's graveyard. Well, we don't have that anymore. People just get thrown to the kilns, you know. And mm-hmm. I don't think for all this talk about we choose kindness, we are compassionate as a society, uh, or we need to look at criminal justice reform or all these other things that are going on. I think that we're actually seeing a lot of people dying, not because of COVID, not because of a lot of things, pneumonias. I think they're killing themselves with drugs, guns, and bridges and we're not hearing about it uh and i understand why we're not hearing about it but i don't think it's right i think that's i think that the way that death statistics in general are reported is much more suspicious than people might immediately assume i think that medical malpractice has a lot to do with it i think that when we're talking about suicide in particular, you're linking it to the mass shooting is important because let's leave mass shooting on the table for now. But mm-hmm. what else amounts to a suicide? Does right. eating and drinking to excess every day, does that is that a suicide? Is that just slow suicide? Are people like the gentleman who leapt out of his car and jumped off the bridge in front of you, that's somebody who's just had it. They've had enough. They're done. But you have to imagine, and it's also telling, by the way, that that's in traffic. It's the classic falling down with Michael Douglas. that's, That's what makes him snap finally. But all of the things that lead up to it, and I think that you you can't talk about this without talking about the absolutely staggering and stunning number of teenage suicides in my lifetime mm-hmm. and in this particular zoomer generation uh it's just it's out of the ballpark and it used to be men who killed themselves but i believe recently uh young girls have outpaced boys and the culprit has largely been claimed to be social media Right. Just the that's the, the thinking kind of, anyway. Yes. That's I think, that's that's I the think thinking. this is the I, I think it's safe to say the playing field has sadly been leveled, if that's the right way to put it. Yeah. And I think certainly social media with the young girls is is seen as the culprit. I think these could be dubious ideas, but at least there is a, a sense, and I think that you're um your your choice of the word suspicious is so apt that this is what we need to have is is a high degree of suspicion about any of the stats or information or you know any kind of data we think we're getting on this i'm not so sure we're getting any real data at all yeah i think that suicide is unique as a cause of death because unlike murder or something like 
I guess drug addiction is normally framed as, you know, these people are weak and they really love how awesome this thing is. But anything that speaks to a societal ill that is causing people to eventually give up on that society is scrubbed. And it's kind of like a family who has a, you know, an abused child in their midst who kills themselves and the family feels like it has to scrub anything from the death that might suggest that the family is the culprit for it. I mean, it is the society. And I think just to make a, a quick point about a lot of the things that we talk about on this show, I think a lot of the insidious choose kindness type shit is what causes this sort of thing. Because I think it's downstream from the, you know, the rat in a maze or the monkey in a cage societal um, constrictions that probably caused that fella to leap to his death off that bridge. I think you've said a couple of really important points here, which um, Ken Axel uses the phrase trivially true, as in so obvious, why can't people get it? And I love mm -hmm. that that expression. But I think there are a couple of things you've said that people just don't get that mm -hmm. really need to be uh, highlighted. One, we tend to think of suicide as some sort of gross, personal, private uh, despair with oneself. Yes. And you have just put forward very simply a despair and loss of faith with society. Yes. And we are not really, well, some people are not very happy about that because, damn it, they're choosing kindness, David, and they don't want to have, you know, that on their hands. They don't right. want to have any blood yeah. on their hands. Right. But nevertheless, they're not seeing that, in fact, something is just not working. They may be choosing kindness, but nonetheless, it's not getting through to people. And I don't think, of course, there are some people who are just plain nuts, that you can't save everyone. There's no question about that. There's no mm -hmm. question that there are individual pathologies involved in suicide and any other form of mental illness. But I think what you have said is that we need to revisit the idea that suicide, whether it is an individual taking his or her own life or something more sinister of homicide based on that end game. I, I was going to say it if you didn't say about it. This yeah. As a failure of hope, mm -hmm. belief, optimism, and a sense of place at the table in society. It's right. not just losing your own. It's not losing the plot just in your own head. It's not. Right. right. No, 100%. I think that a case could be made that perhaps at some point people uh, committed suicide. But you know what? There's, there, there's always an outside motivator. You know, even back when perhaps society was more uh, amenable to the people who lived in it. You know, people would kill themselves if their wife died or something yeah. like that. Some Something upset the order that yes. caused them to, to think that they didn't have a place. 
But what you did there that I was going to jump in and say it, but you got to it first, which is um, the way that you linked suicide to these mass shootings, uh, almost all suicide is a type of homicide. Something killed those people. Something killed those people. And it's something that we don't want to reckon with. I mean, the same type of people who do the choose kindness thing, they think they're doing everyone a favor by having trigger warnings about featuring suicide. For example, if you have a, a book or a video game, they'll give you a warning and say, hey, this video game deals with themes of suicide. And they think that, that they've done their due diligence, right? Because they don't mm -hmm. want to trigger that person into doing it. Ironically, that sensitivity to triggering someone into suicide is not adopted by anything else that they do. Like, oh, I don't know, completely ostracizing people for saying the wrong thing, right? You think maybe that might yeah. lead somebody to suicide? Yeah. You think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no, it's this it's incredibly ironic. Selective, and, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it, well, it's ironic and it's perverse and it's, uh, it's prevalent. You know what I mean? Like, like to just to see the purveyors of suicidal ideation give you a warning that hey, they mentioned they use the word suicide here, right? Almost like they know, almost like they know the same way that you have signs on bridges that tell you. Have you seen the Japanese suicide forests where yes. where they go to hang themselves? And when you take a hike in this forest, there are signs everywhere that say things like, "Your parents love you." Uh, people are thinking about you. It's don't do it. It's not worth it. That's what those trigger warnings actually are. They yeah. are signs in a suicide forest that they planted. And that's a I, lovely analogy. I'm glad you brought that metaphor forward because it's, it's, it's absolutely not a metaphor. It's very physical and real. And I think that is exactly what we're talking about. I think it's, it's, I, I mean, <laughs> How people think that's working, I don't know. But but the point is, it's not working. Right, right. Yeah, it's not it's not working at all. I'm going to continue your note here. We keep throwing up our hands and wondering how these incidents can be stopped. Well, one suggestion is to look at another profoundly recalcitrant problem, which is another form that suicide takes today, the fentanyl crisis and drug ODs. What if instead of looking at the one problem in terms of guns and the other in terms of drugs, we agree that no one really understands the range of mental illness factors involved? The range of means and a range of implications, it's different results, no question. No one is downplaying the homicide aspect of rampage events. There's a crucial common factor. Let's narrow the focus to suicide prevention with exclusive dedicated commitment. What would that look like? So yeah, so what I mean, what that would look like, I think, would look very similar to your prescription for how schools could could possibly look. It's just being reengaged. You want to know something? I'll be candid here because we're all friends, right? Right. I was I was feeling a little down in the dumps recently. Uh, not school related. Uh, just society related, and I'm completely fine with admitting that a lot of my mental downswings have to do with seeing humanity in all of its ugliness, right? And I 
you know, I told, I told Rios about this, which is something I don't often do because my headspace had gotten to the point where I just, I just wasn't, wasn't good. And so I brushed my teeth, laid down in bed and she just put her arm around me and spooned me. Right. I got spooned for about 15 minutes and then I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I felt great. And I realized that in the rush and bustle of life, going to my job, taking care of the kids, making dinner, pursuing my different artistic proclivities, what have you, I hadn't had, you know, not thinking in terms of, you know, sex, but just intimacy. Yes. Right. Just real intimacy. And how good I, f I felt high the next day off of 15 minutes of just, and I've seen these kind of like these cuddle clubs. That's not what I'm talking about. No, no, uh, you know, we understand, we understand you because you're deeper than that. And we yeah. get what you're saying. I'm concerned you didn't uh, reach out to me. I want you to always when you get that way. And I'm going to try to do that with you too, because I understand mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to spoon you, but I, I don't think that's possible <laughs> across the distances, but I think it's really important to share these moments of vulnerability. Yeah. And to, to ask for help. Right. You know, and also to not ask for, unreasonable help and also to be a little bit strategic in who we're asking it from i mean i think certainly your wife is a very good starting point mm -hmm. uh, you know there's it's kind of hard to argue with that um, mm -hmm. but that restorative sense of touch of 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 needing a little break time needing a little bit of well, you know, there's a Christian concept about this of just needing some time by the river, you know, mm -hmm. a moment of of reflection, a moment of, of regeneration. There's a lot of stuff going on here. And I don't think that we allow ourselves uh, that that capability, you know, I think. And oftentimes, of course, many people just don't have the resources to call upon, you know, that really. I mean, it, it's loneliness, as mm -hmm. we've said, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. is killing off our society today. And we need to reinstate community. And that's what we're trying to do with the show. Um, it's it really is loneliness that is driving people to the brink, to the to the edge of the bridge, you know. Um mm -hmm. that beautiful poem, and it's something to do with a bridge, you know, John Berryman's leap off. You know, one of the uh, the bridge that collapsed in Minneapolis. I mean, it's it's serious business when people get to a point of that dark a despair. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. to put a gun in your mouth. I mean, think of Hemingway. You know, we were talking about Fitzgerald. I mean, Jesus Christ, you know, and how we're just so cavalier about this. And I think we are cavalier. I think that mm -hmm. we're talking about kindness. We're talking about social services. We're talking about mental health and all this sort of stuff. And yet we're really ignoring a lot of 
basic truths and a lot of, you know, I, the red flag thing. It's like there are people who are only red flags and everyone just walks around and you think, well, why didn't we know? Why didn't we know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, well, you right, did right. know, you know? You did, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you did. And we've all had that friend too. Yes. We've, we've had that friend who we knew was close and some of them make it and some of them don't. And, you know, I'm sure we've all had those nights where we've stayed up talking to somebody like that, you know, just to keep them on the phone, just to make sure they don't hang this up. This is the thing. This is one of the simple things that when, uh, when, uh, I was getting trained for the suicide hotline and, uh, you know, the Methodists have a very interesting uh, relationship to, you know, good practice around the world. Some of the things I just I don't agree with. Uh, I, I I was just trained by them because they're the they were the people running the the hotline service in Australia then, and they look at it really practically. Mm -hmm. Keep somebody on the phone. Yep. Keep talking. Mm -hmm. You know, and. What does that mean? Well, that means you can't take another call. Right. You know, so you have to make strategic commitments to people. And, and this is the thing. Sometimes we actually need to get physical and to invest energy to spoon someone, to listen to them, to make that commitment. And that means, yeah, we're not going to be able to do everything, you know, well, we're going to have to choose. Mm -hmm. But that could be the thing that really makes the difference. And that's what we all hope for. We all just want to be given a little bit of comfort, a little bit of dignity, a little bit of connection at our worst, most enervated and discouraged moments, because we could all turn very easily. Absolutely. The next section, menopause. <laughs> oh dear oh. we have okay. a vast segment of women going through menopause and the post-hormone therapy is nothing to be sneezed at either this has been going on intensely for the last 10 years and will continue and i mean on a massive population scale demographics do matter for at least 20 more years with this degree of intensity. It's beyond heresy to even get close to this subject. And yet, how can it not have an influence on social climate? It's a Broadway and Vegas show. Isn't this the entire energy of a daily show like The View? Two points here. I think we must risk heresy to approach vital truths. Maybe it's always been so. Sanity equals a history of heresy. Oh, there you go. There you go. There's a sacnicism that I like. Secondly, it strikes me that with all the talk of climate change, we need to expand our notion of capital C climate to embrace the human cultural versions. How can anyone claim humans are unduly responsible for physical meteorological climate change and then ignore human social trends, moods, and demeanors, behaviors, Climate should relate to de Chardin's noosphere, not just carbon emissions and ozone layers. That is oh, playing a blinder lately. Sanity equals a history of heresy. First of all, that is just an incredible thing to say. 
Um, you can see that going back to one of our heroes on this show, Giordano Bruno, all the way. Th- I mean, you know, Copernicus. I mean, all these people who had the gumption to say something heretical that is now true. Um, that's one of my favorite Chris isms that was, but I really do like, and I feel like this would be a hard thing for a liberal to really argue with that we put so much stock in these computer models of something as difficult to understand as the climate. When we all know, you know, street level knowledge, folk knowledge is that the weatherman gets it right. 40 to 50% of the time, unless it's just a, an easy day. It's been hot all week. It's going to be hot again. They got that. But right. in Oklahoma, especially when storms are rolling through, getting the timing right, yeah. whether or not rain will even happen. I mean, it's a joke, right? We we all know that's true. You get but those we think arrows, you know, and the weather. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, okay, and here's yeah. where the here's where the draft is coming down from British Columbia, which will lead to whatever, dude. Um, but on a large scale, we tend to believe it. But then when you go to the personal, you have a very similar belief that you can, you know, that you can map these kinds of things, right? Um, but you can't. You just have to go outside and how cold is it? Does it look like rain? Does it smell like rain? Does it feel like rain? You can feel rain coming. You know when it's going to come. I've had instances recently in the past few years, mid-30s, so I'm 37 now, where for the first time in my life... Yeah, I'm 37. Uh... You can't be. That would make no, no. I'm sorry. With due respect, fuck off. You can't mm-hmm. be 37. This just, is just kidding. Up. Oh, I messed. I'm sorry. I carried the one. I'm actually 27. That's Thank that's you. what I meant to say. Thank you. Thank um, you. Um, but I've had these first instances of seeing on the weather app that the day is going to be nothing but sun. And just being able to go out and looking at the at the quality of the sky and saying, no, five hours, there's going to be rain. And there was. You know, I used to love in the Southern Hemisphere, huntsman spiders, which are very mm-hmm. big and scary looking, but not as, as robust as tarantulas at all. They're, they're much more wall oriented. If they would get into the corner of a kitchen, you could guarantee it was going to rain. You could absolutely guarantee they were they were much better than weathermen. But I think the idea is that we need to expand this notion of of climate. And we really I I know that this is something that that you're concerned about, that I mean, we're certainly not climate change disbelievers, but I think we're a little bit suspicious about how this gets presented. And well, perhaps you I don't know. Uh, you might be more suspicious than I am. I'm but... I'm I'm very suspicious. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, you know, hey, look. Uh, I mean, we started off at uh, a little bit different uh, train speeds uh, regarding COVID, and we kind of evened up in the end. And mm-hmm. I, but I think that what we're saying with this particular 
sharing and, and what you just read about is that climate really is a very, very big idea and it must yes. embrace the social climate. It can't, I mean, if we're just talking about icebergs and polar bears and meteorological physics, you know, that's very important, of course, but I don't think that that makes any sense if then you're also arguing that the cause of those problems is human sociology, human economy, human behaviors. You know, you've got to look at the the bigger picture of climate. And this is something that I think that the liberals really do have a big problem with, because I've been doing a little bit of uh, market research on this. And also getting some flame war attacks, of course, too. But the idea is it's always big corporations problems to solve. It's big government. Yes, it yes, isn't yes. changing consumer behavior. You no, know, never. It, it isn't changing things at the roofline family level. And mm -hmm. that's the only place that change is going to happen. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. There is a, a meme thought in a lot of liberal circles that does place the blame squarely on huge corporations. And the reason why those are foolish and wrongheaded is because it's not about changing the material things that happen in the world. It's about changing your experience of those things and how you act within that. Yes. You are never going to ch get ExxonMobil to stop doing what ExxonMobil does. I don't care what they tell you they're doing. They're still doing the same thing. Yes. China, China is not going to change a goddamn thing that they are doing. Well, New Delhi, look at New Delhi's pollution. I mean, just mm -hmm. look at it. One yeah. city. It's a mega city, yes. But you, I mean... That's not going to be turned around that easily. Mm -hmm. But those aren't arguments for not doing anything. They, yeah. I think, are arguments for doing something at the very, very personal sort of level. Absolutely. And not blaming these giant organizations, governments, corporations, whoever. People don't understand that that is the reason to do something personally different. Mm. That is the reason. I'm with you. The reason, the reason is because is get it out of your head that you are going to make a difference and it start to make a change. How is this hard to understand? <laughs> no, that's a very nice line. I, I mean, I, I, I think that is absolutely true. I really do. I think that um I think it's essential that younger people get on board with that. I think it's so easy to throw stones and look to some, you know, monolithic forces to change when it's quite apparent that they're not going to. That's why they're monolithic. That's why they're monolithic. Yep. Start with oneself. Start with your own family. Start with your roof line, your budget, your behaviors, and mm -hmm. take some responsibility. <laughs> You know, that's yeah. what optimism, that's what we're going to talk about, I think, for next year's. That's what we mean by radical optimism. It is radical uh, self-responsibility. Yeah, no, radical optimism is radical self-responsibility. I love that. That's great.
let me continue here. Sorry, I was just erasing something on my drawing. Um, are dreams to waking life as porn is to sex? Some very interesting titles you have here, Mr. Sagnuson. We broke, yeah, this is breaking through. I mean, I, you can see I'm I'm covering a lot of pasture here. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got the go-kart full throttle with the with the huge uh you know goggles on. He's he's got a French bulldog in the back seat. He's he's going he's going full tilt. Um is the relationship of dreaming to waking consciousness even susceptible to metaphor or analogy? Any model at all? Is it not only emblemental, but the root source of all possible emblematics? The mandala map we've spoken of, a schemata of the relationship between dreaming and waking life, begins to seem like a survival necessary navigational tool. But wait, isn't this where art and magic merge? Surely that's their key purpose. So we're up against some kind of art and magic failure. We're in the midst of a psycho-geography navigation crisis. Somebody get Will Self on the horn. Yeah. The journeying is stressful, not exhilarating. We seem unable to protect cargo, and perhaps most strangely of all, communications are breaking down, precisely because there is so much communication. Too much signal yields only noise. There's a grotesque asymmetry today between possible knowledge and appreciation, between wild ecosystems of interesting subjects and the numbers of people interested. Man, that's fucking true. A vast cultural conversation in time has grown more out of sync. Stretch the shadow too far from the echo, and they both fade, finally to disappear. Man, that is that is true. I really appreciate hearing you read that back. I, I benefit from this enormous. I think you're a wonderful reader and it really gives me a, a, a reflective tool to see, well, if anything I'm thinking about currently is making sense. And I think you are my uh, touchstone for that because although this is a real departure from some of those other topics, I think it's not. I think that what what the, the question is signal and noise. What do we mean by that? How do we determine signal from noise? Who's determining that? Is that something that we have individual sovereignty regarding? And I've always loved your uh, insistence on individual sovereignty and the fact that we often yield that and become our own slave masters, our mm -hmm. own uh, noise makers in this sense. And I mean, what do you think of that idea of, of have we reached a point where there is supposedly too much signal? Is that in fact true? Or have we lost all sense of signal, meaning, structure, semantics, tradition, shared values, culture that can be handed, you know, and moved around. And do we have just noise? 
I think that what you've done here that's so interesting is that, you know, thinking of signal and noise as different things instead of one being the inevitable result of too much of the former Mm -hmm. is what's really important here. Because I think it once again in that sovereignty and taking care of yourself and tending your own garden tip means that there's too much signal if you allow yourself to be a slave to signal, in which case signal becomes only noise, right? Mm -hmm. Signal is valuable. Like we need to get back to people who dedicate themselves to creating the perfect brush stroke on a piece of rice paper. You know what I mean? I do. There's no, there's no, I think I do know what you mean. That person can turn on their cell phone and none of it is noise. It's all signal because they're dedicated to one thing. What I'm advocating for here is that, uh, you know, the idea of agency and the idea of signal and noise signal it's predicated on having agency, right? It is a, it's completely you who carves out the signal from, from noise, right? Whether that, whether it's noise as in dummy data or noise as in too much signal, it's really up to you ultimately. I think that's a good connection between dummy data and too much signal. I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, and that makes me think of, of going way, way back when we were talking about the really basic experience of, of shopping, that you could walk into a grocery store in one mood and be really excited and glad and grateful for all the variety And then in another mood, you could just be completely overwhelmed and sort of nauseous. Yep, exactly. Yep, that's it. I think that um, here where you say we seem unable to protect cargo, it brings to mind somebody who is put in charge of of a child or cargo, but who is constantly being confronted with more and more cargo or children to take care of. And then eventually you can't protect any of them. The idea of protecting cargo goes back to stewardship. It goes back yes. to agency. It goes yes. back to being being a knight or a samurai, right? Somebody who is dedicated to a cause or an idea. That's what's, well, I mean, I really kind of feel that running through everything that I've read of yours right now. It's just a kind of lack of that badass, noble, masculine focus, agency, and energy, discernment. I really do think that that this is all the same problem. Well, that's that that is my critique. That's my sense of despair with society. Going back to your comments about what a suicide looks like, it's it isn't just despair with oneself that could be part of it but it's also a despair with a social contract i think it's really really interesting that that you and i individually and together just so often bring up the word and the term and the idea of stewardship Mm -hmm. uh, that Mm -hmm. we're, we're we value this very very intensely we're looking to be good stewards we're looking to be better men we're looking to be better community leaders uh, in your case, a father at the moment, a husband, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
But stewardship is the, is the absolute critical underlying thing. And I think that is a very odd uh, word. I mean, it, 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 it's certainly not original to us. and We're not making any claim about that. But I think it's very important. Uh, it, it's certainly part of uh, religious traditions. It's it's part of the best, I think, of secular community leadership. And it's something that is always in need of interrogation, prosecution, and further effort. You're never a good enough steward. You're just trying. You know, you're on yep. the way, as yes. you say. You're on the yes. way. Just like you're never a good enough samurai. No, no. And you and know? that is a cool sort of thing. And I, I think trying to reinvent that. And I don't think we're trying to own that in a masculine sort of way. Although I think that you and I both feel that that's very appropriate to do. Uh, I, I You know, anyone can potentially take on board that, you know, call to courage, call mm-hmm. to stewardship. Absolutely. We hope that mm-hmm. women do. We hope everyone does. But yeah. To recognize the need for it and a kind of um, honor. Mm-hmm. honor. Now, here's another way to think of it. Uh, honor has come up in my personal writing quite a bit of late. And I'm really, I'm sort of doing some real soul searching about what I mean by that. But it means something terribly important to me. I feel it very viscerally. I feel it in my gut, not my balls, not my heart, not my mind. It's very, very centered in sort of the solar plexus region. But it's also about my balance. I'm thinking about that when I'm blowgunning and and uh, walking around. Because I you know, live in a kind of a complicated terrain. It's easy to fall over and break a leg, you know. Mm-hmm. I So the viscera and balance is where I'm thinking, where I'm placing honor and i don't mean in some sort of grand uh sir Gawain kind of way mm-hmm. i mean it in a way that means i can sleep well at night you know that's all absolutely absolutely and and i think that people well people can sense that now i've noticed that just in teaching when you're able to, um, well, there's a few things when you're able to guide or steward students, whether you're harsh with them or easy on them, however you choose to do it. If you steward them in a certain direction, they look up to you, but also when you have, uh, boundaries that you're not willing to cross because I'm, I'm very, um, adamant about not being their friend. Right. Um, I'm pleased to hear that. I'll listen to them. I'll never stop them from from talking or if they feel like they need to talk about something, I'll I'll listen to them, but I'm not their friend. So, we're not going to I'm not going to talk to them the way that I talk to you. They yeah. don't know that I've they don't know about my home life or that I've No, they, they, they don't know anything to. about me. They don't yeah. need they don't need to read your books necessarily. I mean, you can do no. that if time if you want, but I think you need no. your privacy and your uh, mm-hmm. navigational respect mm-hmm. you know, to really maintain that. Um, and I think you've handled that very well. And, you know, I, I'm really pleased with, um, well, what I've seen of your evolution over the experience of parenthood, fatherhood, 
I think mm-hmm. you handled it. I know that hasn't been easy, and it's not going to be any easier going forward. Nope. You know, and you know that. You know that, and it's it's going to get weirder and weirder and weirder. But I think that stewardship, the way that you and I talk about it, is something that is. Uh, well, I'm very excited about it as a value that I can name and locate in my body and mm-hmm. locate in in my life, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just the way that that teaching thing relates to what I'm talking about is that to them, it just communicates that at least for this time, when I'm in this space, I'm dedicated to one particular goal and I'm unflinching in that particular goal. And it makes me think... I've been watching a lot of Kurosawa movies recently. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah. I watched uh, characters. I watched Ron recently uh and Yojimbo and when I that's why I brought up Samurais. Yeah. And um when you see people you know not the kind of you know morally ambiguous elites but you see you know their samurai who are absolutely committed to whatever their master says to do it's not it's not a fetishization of the master slave relationship. It's the dedication in and of itself. It would be just as cool to see people who had dedicated themselves to building a cabin in the woods and bushcrafting or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, making the perfect ink stroke on a piece of rice paper. You know, it's, it's the dedication itself in 2023 that I think gives you that kind of almost wistful longing to be more like that, right? To say, oh man, I wish that, you know, this crisis of meaning can really be boiled down to this too much signal thing, right? Um, meaning is just choosing something. That's all it is. If you don't have any meaning, it's because you haven't chosen the thing that you're going to provide meaning to. It could be rescuing dogs or leading a church service or if you're atheist it could be i don't know cleaning up trash around your neighborhood but like that's that's the meeting problem is not being yes. able to have enough sovereignty to discern the noise um it really brings to mind um i don't know how much of you you've read of, of gary snyder mm, who's yeah. still alive you know the california beat poet yep. poet surprise yep. winner lives in the Sierra foothills, kind of the, the, one of the, the leading figures of the beat movement and kind of the back to the land guy, but uh, a, a very powerful, I mean, he'd spent time in a Japanese Zen monastery. He did. And, yep. Um, it, it makes me think of, uh, there's a lovely new directions uh, publishes most of his work. And I really love the, the, the real work, uh, which is this, uh, a collection of interviews of him from the 60s and 70s. And I think a lot of it, I mean, certainly some of it is is rooted in its time and a kind of uh, neo-hippie escape from the Bay Area thing. But I really, he was from uh, the Pacific Northwest and really was a very uh, hardworking, rural, farm-based sort of person in his youth. And I think a lot of what you're saying makes me think of of of, of his work, and also uh, uh, Wendell Berry. Oh, I love Wendell Berry. Yeah, yeah. Wendell Berry's great. Yeah, yeah. Gary Snyder and awesome. Wendell Berry are both 
super, super good in terms yeah, of this. I, I think we need to really actually celebrate them again and, and mm -hmm. certainly feature them in the notes because I think they are really, I think they're wonderful writers in their own, yep. uh, you know, not lyrical. They're, they, I mean, talk about the opposite of Fitzgerald. I mean, yeah. God, you could not have more of an opposite. Uh -huh. And yet I think they are deeply American. And uh, I love the, the, the sense of work and honor and uh, simplicity. Yeah. Yeah. The gift of good land. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you like to see my drawing? I am hanging out to see this because <laughs> I'm, I know I've got all of these lights around <laughs> me in my neighborhood. I love occasionally giving you a completely visual challenge because you always support it with some interesting commentary. Um, but I think it's something you're thinking about, you know, having moved to a new place and, and settling mm -hmm. and, this mm -hmm. new sort of era. So lay it on me. Lay okay. So some top. of this, some of this might seem a little trivial, but so what I've drawn here, make sure you can see all that. Yes. This is what I was. Yes. I like it. I like it. Uh, okay. So you're going to have to post this as our thumbnail. I will indeed. So to your right there, those are the steps leading up. This is kind of my apartment alcove balcony yes. type thing i included hershey's kisses that i would wrap around the bushes just because i think hershey's kisses are uh kind of nice they bring a lot of holiday <laughs> memories when i was a kid there would there would always be that commercial with the hershey's kisses where they would play we wish you a merry christmas with the right, hershey's kisses right. do you remember that but the most important thing by the way that's the meter right there to your left um but here on the balcony, we have a chair set up with a kind of faux campfire fire thing going on right? with what would be a uh, similar, similarly uh, orange glowing Christmas tree. And the idea with this would be to have a kind of welcoming campfire uh, space, right? where I might be sitting out there with a beer or, you know, iced tea or whatever. So that people who are passing by might be enticed. If I were to ask them if they wanted to come sit, they wouldn't be freaked out by all these kind of garish lights and inflatable Grinches and things like that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that kind of thing. So much more homey, much more campfire, much more come sit, yarn that type of thing i love the campfire idea i think you can't go wrong with that i mean that is the essence of the human story of all story uh i mean it goes back as far as we can possibly imagine uh it all started with fire and and a kind of welcome and i love that idea i think that's really beautiful and and it's um that's kind of what i was i was you know imagining that it would be it would be tasteful and uh, although you can always completely surprise me with some strange, you know, direction, right. but I thought right. you would choose a welcome and an invitation rather than a projection, you know? Right, right. And I think that's what it is. I think that why some people can think 
that the lights around them are a bit of a nuisance is because it's it's very did you see the Kardashians Christmas display? You can imagine. Not I you, do you could not. imagine what, what that looks I like. I can, I think. Um, but it's very garish and it's very projecting, right? And I think that um this particular setup. I do think that holiday stuff should make you the best Christmas lights that I've seen uh, feel personal and feel inviting and they don't seem to push people away. I think that those, but I know we just mentioned them, but I feel like those inflatable snowmen and Santa Clauses are the ugliest fucking things I've ever seen. In my I, life. Do too. I do too. <laughs> I, I find them very, very disturbing. I try to go quietly with neighbors who have them. Uh-huh. Somehow the the those are for car lots, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the erection guy who goes, I'm back up again. Every time, every time we pass one of those, Rio says, "Look, it's you dancing." That's how you did. Well, you gotta love her. She spoons you, you know. So yeah, you just have to, you just have to live with that. I'm afraid. Oh my! Well, that was lovely. Are we ready for uh, tool and yes. tip? Yes, tool and tip. Hit me with the tool and tip. Okay. Um, these may be a, bit, a little bit quiet. Uh, I, I'm building up to a, a big end of year finish, but uh, across the hall from me is my laundry room. And I sometimes really enjoy my washing machine and dryer sounds. I think Me I mentioned too. in the last episode that yeah. I feel really good about that relative to my dishwasher. Somehow yeah. that gives me more sovereignty and control. But I often like to uh, just at least put my phone on uh, the machines and record it because I like the percussive thing and i think i can use that musically and yet i find that even when my washing machine for instance or my dryer when they're really in a good groove and they're doing the best they can as you know non-musically trained I sometimes have a hard time letting the recordings go to the end of the cycle. I want to kind of cut in and edit. I think, oh, that's enough. I'm going to, I mean, I can always edit later, you know, obviously. But I, I, I've, it makes me think about natural cycles. And obviously machines are not, there isn't quite a natural cycle thing there. But I think that we so often intervene and cut off and edit before we need to do so. And it's actually difficult to sit back and go, no, look, if that's a 20-minute cycle or a 40-minute cycle, I'm just going to let that go. And then I'll edit later, mm -hmm. you know? I don't have to do that in the moment. I don't have to take as much control. So my theme here is 
letting natural cycles and natural is a controversial word. It's it's almost it's number three on my list of the most contentious words in English. Uh, but I still think my point is made that if we let things just settle a little bit, progress as as they need to, and then apply our editing deletion technology are frameworks of control you know after the fact just let something go let something be let everything follow through and i think this is really valuable in terms of well for instance i'll, I'll mean, not, not to be crude but i i think that human sexual relations i think that the search for orgasm the search for finality, climax. I think all of those are just, just dreadful ways to go wrong. I think you just got to kind of groove a little bit more and let things take organic shape. And I find that when I do that sincerely, when I'm really relaxed and my viscera mm -hmm. <laughs> is calm, I'm on the beat. And I'm in the groove and I'm, oh, yeah. I'm you know, it, I, I'm not, I'm not behind or, you know, before I'm just there and natural cycles we, we need to sort of find other rhythms again. And I think we can, I think we can. Oh yeah. Sex is so much better when you're just grooving. But everything like, is musical. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything is, is, I mean, well, or let's put it another way. On what basis are you putting down a frame, time-wise, space-wise, whatever, that determines what is a good result? It's probably pretty theoretical and weird. You know, I mean, really what you want to uh, do is, uh, look, well, think about inviting people over to your house for food. Don't you want them to just enjoy the food in their own time? Sure, mm -hmm. if they start lingering like three and four or five hours, okay, you might go, yeah, it's time. <laughs> the wife and I are going to go to bed. We're going to do some humping. You got you to hit the road, pal. But mostly you want them just to kind of enjoy things in their own time. And people do. People mm -hmm. are in sync. We're all in sync. Otherwise, this whole thing would be nonstop bloodshed and would be over very quickly. I like it. So like it. that's my um, and my tip is is related to this. And it comes from uh, well, it comes from my discussions with you. We're now sort of heading towards uh, well, nearing inching, you know, further towards 200 episodes. We're at sort of 178 or something. And. My really fun afternoon with this wonderful sort of magician uh mystical adventure uh kent axel i'm concerned about memory and alertness and i wrote this down today and i think about you and i think about him and i think about a couple of other people we remember so much better when we're around other people who do too. And I have reached a conclusion for the end of this year 
that I'm going to be a little bit more um, demanding of, of my social network, even if it's very, very small. I think over the last couple of years, I have allowed myself to get very depressed and to accept some people around me that, uh, and I don't always mean physically, uh, I mean more, you know, social media sort of sense. I think I've, I've let people uh, into my thinking, uh, into my head, into my viscera, into my dreams that are not worth my time. And I think I need to be stronger and insist on, I mean, maybe I'm not going to, I'm not going to find someone like you too easily. I'm not going to set the bar that high. I'm not going to find uh, a Lisa that easy or uh, a couple of other really good friends. And I think this new friend, Ken Axel, that's too high a bar for everybody. But on the other hand, I do really think that we find the colleagues that we deserve. And if we are accepting of people who are naggy, scoldy, you know, I mean, I've got mm-hmm. a lot of those woke liberal friends who just, their tone is condescending to me. And I can understand them disagreeing with me, but I've lived way too much life to be condescended to by them, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, 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 that's not the tone to take to me. I mean, you can disagree with me for sure. And I absolutely welcome that. As you know, I, I, I'm combative and, and, you know, interrogative. I, I'm ready to go. But mm-hmm. I have revised my sense of, of what I should expect from friends and colleagues. And again, I say, I, I can't expect... I've only met one David Osborne my whole life, and I've been out looking on a lot of you know a lot of strange parts of the world. I you know only met one Lisa. I mean, there's there's not you're not going to find wonderful, magical, intense people all the time. But on the other hand, don't accept people who are scolds and nags and enervations rather than energizing. Mm-hmm. So and you can feel it too thank you by the way i feel the same way um but you can feel it you can you don't even have to intellectualize it it's a oh. solar plexus thing 100 percent. yeah it's i mean you just <clears throat> you know everyone who's listening to this you know you know who those people are yep so just don't fuck with them <laughs> no, and it is a question of self-sovereignty. It's it yeah. it goes back to the, you know one of your your first points a long time ago about you know if you let those people into your life, well you've got to own that. You know what are you getting out of them? They're just dragging you down. We know that. Yep. 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 And the faster people realize this, the faster that you are not a slave to the algorithm. And a slave to, you know, the waterfall of just depleting people that social media will put in front of your face, then the better off you are. You don't need it. You don't need it. And you know, you know, there's nothing that myself or Chris could say 
that will be the feeling that you already feel in your yep. you already you already know you, you already, already know. know so you already know it's so true it's just mm-hmm. hard to follow through on that and be strong and to be confident enough to to expect more you know and to mm-hmm. hope for more to hope for mm-hmm. more we're, that's one of our themes for 2024 we're going to dare to hope again i like it i like it I don't know if you saw that the Obamas recently produced a film series or a, uh, sorry, a TV series for Netflix uh, about the end of the world, about a cyber attack. No, I did not. Yeah. Yeah. It's got Ethan Hawke in the lead. Oh, oh and, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And conspiracy theorists, <laughs> as you can imagine. Wow. That's like, wild are like, what the hell is going on with this? Um, but anyway, so it's all going to end soon anyway, apparently, according to the Obama Netflix show. That's um, that's astounding. I've got to check that out. No, I did not. I yeah. did not see that. No. I wish I, wish I could tell you what the title of it was, but I That's I That's just it. insane. I've yeah, got to yeah. follow that up. Yeah, yeah. Cyber attack. I think war with China. I don't know if you believe in this type of thing, you see something like that and you think, God, they sound a little bit desperate of like, I'm waiting for Charlton Heston in an earthquake building and on on fire, towering inferno and flood. Mm -hmm. God. Produced by the Obamas. Um, Tell me about the dream life. Okay. Well, I had, I had a really interesting moment that I have not, uh, as, as listeners will know, I've I've been trying to record my dreams uh, as religiously and and in as disciplined a fashion as I can. Really steady, going back to to my uh, early early teens, and I had a very peculiar dream, which is uh, there are not very many of these across the decades, but uh, it's something that we know from David Lynch. Uh, of of kind of a compositing of character or a bifurcation of character. I was dealing with my stepbrother who uh, officially disappeared and is whereabouts unknown. There's a great deal of trauma and confusion about that in my waking life. But in the dream, I was having trouble with him and another brother which was really me so i was bifurcated this is uh i think that you can kind of see this in 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 lynch's movie the lost highway um Mm -hmm. it's very i have not had this problem very often and it was very strange so here i am dealing with my stepbrother was a very clear figure in the dream but oppositional to me in a way that was uncomfortable and not uh, not something that, uh, well, I sat very well with. But his brother or his stepbrother was me, but not me, split, schizophrenically split. And it was quite clearly schizophrenically split. And it was really uh, a very stark, uh, illogic moment that was was very confusing then i had um the return 
although an entirely different figure, the return of the archetypal tall man, blonde, wrinkled, damaged nose, mid-30s, 40s, unpleasant verging on menacing, and then outright bad, confronting me at what sort of was my front door, but in this case uh, was more of the kind of cottage, uh, miner's cottage that I lived in in Australia than than where I am now, uh, an apron uh, roof over the door. And yet it was impossible for someone that tall to fit under this roof. It just simply wasn't possible. Mm-hmm. And the more I became aware of that, the more menacing this mm-hmm. figure became. Mm-hmm. I think he went from about like someone like maybe six foot eight to nearly eight foot tall. Uh, and something like a really drug damaged uh, California lifeguard who was really uh, a criminal, that kind of figure. I immediately then moved to what is a classic uh, architectural uh, nightmare situation for me. I know this sounds strange, but it's California mansions like in Bel Air or Beverly Hills Mm -hmm. from the Mm -hmm. movies that have been used to, uh, I think that the the main one I'm thinking of is... uh, what was used for gone with the wind, but these circular, they're not really spiral. They're just these circular staircases that just seem very gaudy and awful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they've been in a lot of Hollywood films. There there are many of these sort of pseudo mansions in Los Angeles. The moment I have anything to do with them, I just feel tremendously nauseous. In this case, where the central chandelier was, and this is a beautiful title, the hanged man where the chandelier should be. There is a figure hanging down that appears to be a male corpse, tying back into perhaps the corpse that I discovered again on, you know, on the street, uh, second time, had to call the cops. That may be a link. But it changes shape. He, the figure is, is male. It moves from being a normal sized male to being like a, a kind of ventriloquist dummy size or like a dwarf. Uh, and it changes shape as I move up the stairs. And I have, unfortunately, uh, I feel like I have no control about moving up, up, up the stairs. I want to leave the house because this is somehow architecturally, this is just, I just hate those houses. I hate that style. It's just gaudy. And and there are many places like that in Las Vegas too. I got to say, it's not, it's not unusual, but I feel a need to somehow get to a point where I can cut this body down because it just offends me that it's hanging there where the chandelier should be. What do you think? What stands out 
is a phrase you said while you were describing the middle part of the dream with the tall man. And it was that your recognition of his impossibility mm. made him bigger. Mm. Mm. So, and then I see that echoed with the hanged man chandelier where obviously the size is going in the opposite direction but your recognition of its strangeness kind of spurs you into action but in doing so also makes it more real this is perhaps something that you might say could only happen in dreams yeah but i don't i don't think so i think it's I think if you look at, at at this dream, if you take this dream as a whole, it's it actually is in a meta sense. It is about you as the observer and your effect that you are having on your recognition of things as being off in whatever way they might be off. There's also the interesting symbolism of the hanged man, obviously the tarot. Um And <laughs> these these gone with the wind spiral staircases <laughs> that that seem to have infected your brain and that that you that you hate so much. Um, I don't know but, what it is about them. But the the tone of all of the whole dream isn't necessarily. I mean, the tall man gets a bit sinister, right? But would you agree that it's it's more a tone of just annoyance? of observational annoyance or would you say it's more dread i think there is a dread element but i think that what you you've what you really have helped me see is that there's some uh ratio shift you know we talk about venn diagrams and and uh, just slight little changes in that can just change everything i think i'm i'm across all these i'm i'm too observational I'm not active enough. I'm I'm too much, well, not the victim here, but but too much the subject, the observer, and not the mm -hmm. active person that yeah. I want to see myself and be, you know? Right, right. And I, I think that I think that's what I was getting at is that these all these dreams actually seem to be more about you, not in the sense that the things that you're seeing are actually manifestations of yourself. That's too simple, but you as the observer in them. I mean, it's it was the inclusion of the staircases that did it for me. It was like, okay. okay, this is this is very much about how Chris is observing things and making their impossibility bigger through mm -hmm. his observation. You know, I love that you focused on impossibility because there's kind of a, a weird escalating thing going through these dreams, and it? it gets more and more impossible. Right, things get more, you know, but not like. They're not surrealistically impossible. I mean, it's not no. completely crazy, but it's just an up, it's upping the signal to the yep. point where it becomes noise. Right. Right. Absolutely. And it goes, it ties, as these things tend to do, it ties perfectly back into what we were talking about, which you could not have known as you dreamt these things. But it's the way time works, baby. That's the way time and dream work. That well, so the, very often our dreams are not for the not for when we wake up. No. 
No, and and I think that just being able to harvest them, talk about them, share them. I mean, I really do think dream study sharing is 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 a vital way of really strengthening community, uh, clearing air, and and focusing uh, mind and viscera. You know, totally, totally, yeah. Uh, great episode. Had a lot of fun. Well, thank tonight. you so much. Thank you, listeners. And I, I've got to say, I really hope people do just go back in time and check out David's wonderful Mayhem in the Manger imaginative challenge from last year, because what's coming up for this Christmas is a blockbuster special. And David does good gore and strangeness, and we're going to have some real fun. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone. Take care.